Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, Thursday morning. Hope it's uh, a really nice day where you are around the country. Do we need a good patch of weather, don't we? But um, it's still coming in. Uh, this morning we have uh, a pretty interesting show, I've got to say, put together by uh, our producer Logan Swinkles. In fact, he's done a lot of the work on it because he's had to get up um, real early to record a couple of interviews for us, the first of which will be just uh, after a sermon coming up. Uh, with one of our two flag bearers uh, at the Commonwealth Games, uh, Joel King. Now, we've had Joel on the show. What a lovely lady, but uh, what a wonderful achiever in terms of squash in particular. Uh, and along with Tom Walsh, I can't think of two better uh, people to uh, show the flag and carry the flag for us. So, Joel King. Uh, then, uh, around about 9.30, we'll open up the lines and uh, you can perhaps have a chat about the Commonwealth Games, what you're expecting to come up. Um, or you can uh, c- call us, of course, on uh, what you read about uh, Razor Robertson all of a sudden uh, opening up on to exactly where he wants to go now, and he'll go quicker rather than later by the sound of things. Michael Glading after 10 o'clock. Historic deal struck yesterday between the PGA of New Zealand and Golf New Zealand, two entirely different bodies. We'll get Michael to explain the difference between the two because a lot of people out there probably just think golf's run by golf people as such. Well, it isn't. It's totally different, but now it's come together for the betterment of the game. We'll talk to Michael about that very shortly. Uh, also, Gordon, uh, Jordan, I'd say Gordon, Jordan Oppert and Brad Lewis uh, will be on the panel this morning. Uh, Jordan does a wonderful job down there in Christchurch, of course, Brad Lewis as well. Uh, we'll be talking about the Commonwealth Games, uh, the rugby, the Warriors, some cricket. Van Allen scoring 100 overnight to cement uh, further cement his place in the T20 lineup for the World Cup, one would imagine. We'll have a pacing for purpose uh, horse for you uh, around about uh, 10 to 11. Uh, and we'll uh, throw over Greyhound as well about quarter to 12. Uh, but after 11 o'clock, we're we'll talking to Megan Hull. Megan is the women's co-captain for the Black Sticks. Uh, and Logan spoke to her uh, late last night uh, to be able to get her on the show this morning great sacrifice all round busy show busy busy morning sport is our religion and here is Smithy's sermon well one can only surmise at how many times over the last five years Scott Robertson's phone has rung with club or country offers from overseas especially when you consider how many of our coaches with far less credentials are or have been based away from home Each time a no, each time I'm happy at home with the Crusaders and my prospects going forward. Big money offers too, compounding with each year of continued success. Well, after yesterday's revelations, which in true Razor style he has kept close, they will have already started calling back or initiating for the opening chance to chat to him. Clearly, the straw was his great ally, Jason Riney, signing up to the squad he so badly wants, and even though he, of course, will have wished him well, it might have been through slightly clenched teeth. 
I mean, just how many apprentices has he seen come and go to prestigious overseas positions at pretty good returns? Ronan O'Gara is a classic case. Came to Razor and the Crusaders to learn to glean, <coughs> excuse me, and how well did he take it all in? Now, the coach of the European champions, La Rochelle O'Gara, will openly admit his time under Razor, his most valuable in his new career, has him lined up for Ireland, England, or whoever at some point soon. Unless New Zealand Rugby Act now and give Razor a carved and granite con- contract to coach the ABs straight after the next World Cup and a mighty healthy one at that, he will be gone for God knows how long because once you crack that open home nation circuit, uh, there are a lot of ports of call with very generous price tags. He wants to coach two nations to win the World Cup, one preferably us, surely. The rugby world has caught us up and now looks to lap us. All the Silver Lake money in the world won't fix that unless you have the right people at the helm. Time to get the tools out, New Zealand rugby, and start chiselling if it isn't already too late. Well, if uh, we didn't have a reminder that uh, Commonwealth Games is just uh, a day or so away, then uh, often they, when they announce uh, the flag bearers for us, we just get a little bit of pride going through the system because often, obviously they're always been great servants of New Zealand sport and it's no exception uh, this time around either. We shall have two flag bearers. We shall have Tom Walsh, of course, uh, a legendary shot putter and uh, one of the great ladies of New Zealand sport. As an individual, she has plied her trade around the world representing us proudly and uh, to put herself right up the top of the ladder. I'm talking here, of course, of uh, Joelle King. We had her on the show actually not too long ago. She was home for a brief period of time uh, to play in the New Zealand Champs, which she duly won, uh, and then, of course, uh, off to the Commonwealth Games. So Joelle King and Tom Walsh to be our flag bearers, and here's uh, a little chat with Joelle King. <laughs> On the line from Birmingham is one of New Zealand's flag bearers for the opening ceremony, defending squash gold medalists in both the women's singles and doubles, Joelle King. Firstly, congrats, mate. Can you take us through the range of emotions uh, that you had in reaction to getting the news? Yeah, I mean, I found out probably a month ago that this was going to be the case. Um, So it's been quite hard to tell a few lies to people close to me, Um, you know, pretending I have no idea at all who the flag bearer could possibly be. Um, But today was was probably one of the most special moments of my whole life. Um, You know, it's it's a lot of emotions, a lot of adrenaline right now. standing up next to Tom and seeing tears in his eyes and my eyes, it, it was just all happening. And, you know, I think to have a haka performed by that many people, especially my peers and my in the wider New Zealand team, yeah, it's, it's I don't think you'll, you'll ever forget that. So it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, I think, and um, I'm so honoured that I've been able to live it. Just there with, you know, you had the uh, New Zealand athletes with you performing the haka. Just how many of the contingent were there for the moment, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know the exact number of people that uh, athletes that came tonight, but it was a pretty full house, and <laughs> yeah, just the noise and the emotion that you could feel in the air was was special. So yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that so many people turned out, um, and you know, especially my team. I think 
a few of them were very shy about even being involved to try and do a haka um, and to see them giving everything they had because I was up on that stage was something pretty special. That's awesome. Uh, now, this being the first time the Commonwealth Games has uh, allowed the naming of a male and female flag bearer. So, so, are you a big fan of Tom Walsh? Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've never met him before actually today. Um, we've, I've obviously seen his career and he's done amazing things, but he's such a great man and we've had so much fun together today. Um, I think that classic Kiwi thing that, you know, you meet someone once and you feel like you've known them forever. So we've had an absolute ball and, and looking forward to sharing tomorrow night with him. No doubt. I mean, it's been a crazy day for you already. Have you, you know, being being the girl from Cambridge, have you had much word from uh, back home? Um, yeah, obviously, but like I have literally got the news tonight and then have been whisked off to do this <laughs> many, many interviews. Um, so I haven't really had a chance to look at my phone, to be honest. But um, yeah, I'm sure my grand will be sipping on her TV extra <laughs> smiling extra hard this morning, um, taking a good stroll up the main street of Seatown, you know, showing off to all her friends. So, yeah, it's, it's an awesome moment. And like you say, coming from the little Waikato town of Cambridge and, and making people back, proud back home, is um, that's all you can do. Uh, I heard you say that, I mean, this is the first time you're even experiencing an opening ceremony. How, how do you think you're going to approach it? Well, it's funny. Tom and I were just discussing our tactic. You know, typical athletes, what's the tactic going to be for passing the, the flag back and forth? So I'm not sure. I'm sh- I'm guessing we're going to get a bit of information as to how how we do it. But um, no, it's, it's going to be a great first-time experience, obviously. I think that's when my team started to wonder, hmm, is she hiding something from us? When I said I'm finally on my fourth time going to an opening ceremony. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be cool to experience once and um, looking forward to Duran Duran performing tomorrow night. <laughs> Would you say now that Joelle King has a decent poker face after all this? <laughs> Definitely. Or, or I'm a great liar, obviously, <laughs> because I've, how I've managed to keep this quiet, I don't know. Everyone that knows me knows I've got a big mouth. So, um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's been like a stealth moment, a James Bond moment, I think you'd say. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm so glad it's out in the open and I don't have to lie anymore. James Bond, nice. You're in the UK. Uh, aside from Duran Duran, have you heard anything else about what you could expect from this, the uh, spectacle that is the opening ceremony? Nothing, actually. I tried to get a bit of info out of um, some of the photographers who were there watching the rehearsal yesterday and nothing. There's a few secret performances apparently. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. Nice. Are you being and since arriving in Birmingham, are you, are you getting like a sense of excitement around the place that the games are just hours away? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think living in the UK, it didn't really feel real that it was going to be happening. Um, but coming to Birmingham and just feeling a bit of a vibe around, and even what happened tonight, um, yeah, it's 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 definitely go time. So yeah, our, our team looks loaded and and ready to go. Nice. Does being named a flag bearer give you like an extra boost now going on to that squash court? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I can't, I can't say, you know, preempt it, but obviously just everything that goes with it and, and even a little bit of responsibility, you know, with it. Um, I don't want to be flag bearer and, and not do this role proud. So, yeah, we'll see, but 
after after this job's done, it's it's back to squash and and trying to bring home some more medals. Nice. Now, you were recently in New Zealand for the first time in like three years. How do you think being able to reconnect with the country and, and with your family, more importantly, while you were here, has helped you mentally prepare for these games? Oh, it's huge. Um, you know, I don't think there's many athletes that had to endure what Paul and I did. We stayed away from home for three and a half years so that we could continue to play and, and have a career on the squash tour. So to not see your family is it's probably one of the hardest things I've done, to be honest, to be away from them that long. And that trip home, even for just 11 days, was worth every minute um, of jet lag. Every every part of it was worth it because um, just my heart was full, happy and, and ready to get back into training. And I think just that peace um, now, knowing that I've seen them all and, and ready to rock and roll. I'm not sure if you remember this. It was a few years ago. Uh, you teamed up with Amanda Landers-Murphy to take on uh, Wairangi Kupu and myself uh, in a very casual match uh, in Tauranga. Is, is, is squash a sport you think Kiwis can pick up easily and fall in love with from watching it at these games? Absolutely. I think it's one of those sports sometimes as well that you watch it and you think it's easy um, when you're watching the professionals do it and then people go and try it and they're like, damn, that's actually a blooming hard sport to play. And, but I think that, you know, one of the things I always say that I'm so grateful for about squash is the people, um, the hard competition, and then you sit with your opponent and you have a chat and you make some of the best friendships of your life on it. So I would say 100% it's an easy sport to go and try. And I think once people try their hooks, so definitely give it a go. <laughs> There's, I mean, there's a lot of expect, expectation, I think, around both yourself, Paul, and Amanda coming into these uh, squash events for the Com Games. How, how are you handling that? What's your approach? Yeah, it's funny. It's very different in the games for me. Um, I think the last three, I've been just, you know, head down and very serious, very desperate to achieve what I've achieved. Um, already and you know I want to enjoy the experience of the Com Games this time and it doesn't mean that I don't expect things or don't want to do as well as what I have it's just changing perspective a bit and I think this could be the last one Ken, so I want to make Nice. I think you dropped off a little bit there, but uh, I mean, I, I got the sentiment there, so that's awesome. Uh, one last thing from me, Joelle. It's such a huge festival of sport, the Com Games. So, what's one sport you're looking forward to checking out the most? Um, funny, I just got asked this before, but I always love the netball. Mm. Um, netball, I, I would love to still be able to play netball myself, but obviously, since taking up squash competitively and professionally I haven't been able to so I always love watching and supporting the girls um, and triathlon is another one that's probably one of my favourites um, and possibly some those two sports is something I'd like to do um, when I finish you know, my squash career and just compete in them for fun No, so I'll, I'll let you go, you've probably got a million more of these to do, congrats to both you and Tom, go well at the Com Games Thank you so much Take care Joel King there talking to uh, our very own Logan Swinkles uh, a little bit earlier um, and all our uh, Commonwealth Games of course will be brought to us by uh, Noel Leeming uh, give your tech the winning edge this Commonwealth Games with uh, the experts at Noel Leeming our branches all around the country so make sure uh, you're calling there to get your tech supplies uh, and information sorted out
Uh, interesting, uh, Logan. Uh, whilst you were uh, interviewing her, I, I saw a headline um, on uh, Australia's uh, sports program, actually, the Sports News, where it said that uh, they have named their squash uh, one of their squash players as a flag bearer for the first time ever. Um, Rachel Grinham, who uh, may well be up against Joel King at some stage throughout this tournament, uh, and three-time hockey gold medalist Eddie Ockenden will jointly carry the flag for Australia at uh, the Birmingham opening ceremony. Grinham is actually 45 years of age, Rachel Grinham, as uh, an eight-time medalist, is the first squash player to ca- in the history of the Games uh, to carry the flag. Now, uh, I would imagine that means for Australia, um, but uh, I was just uh, wondering whether we had had a squash player over the years that may well have carried the flag for us, and I- I'm struggling to recall it, to be fair. Yeah, I am too, Smithy. You posed that question to me and I immediately thought, well, potentially Dame Susan DeVoy, but uh, my memory definitely doesn't (laughs) stretch back that far and I can't seem to find anything on it. So if Joelle King is the first squash representative to do it, that's awesome. I mean, keep in mind, this is only Commonwealth Games. Squash, weirdly, I don't know why this is, Smithy, but squash isn't an Olympic sport. Okay, um, I don't quite understand that either. I mean, it's a global sport, but it's dominated by a few, if you get my drift. Um, so uh, I can see, you know, uh, it can be pushed for. I mean, for instance, I, I see that um, India are pushing for, in the next Commonwealth Games, for shooting and wrestling to be back, uh, reintroduced back into the Commonwealth Games. For obvious reasons, they're very good at it. Uh, but uh, I can also, uh, you know, when you look at that, you, you wonder why squash isn't perhaps in the Olympics. But it's the global reach of squash now. Um, I, you know, every country plays uh, would have squash courts and would play squash as such, but only a few dominated. And that's tended to be the way in squash over the years. It used to be the Pakistanis would dominate uh, men's squash, and then of course now it's Egypt dominate squash across the board. There's been uh, Australians have had great periods of it as well, New Zealanders as well. But the global reach, and I guess that's what they look for in the Olympics, perhaps isn't there. Uh, otherwise, they just haven't fought hard enough for it, uh, Logan. To be fair. Um, so yeah, but the Commonwealth Games, it's, 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 it's sort of snuck up on us with a lot of uh, the rugby talk that's been going on in the last uh, 10 days or so over the coaching issues, the selection issues, etc. and the losses to Ireland and, and the Commonwealth Games behind the scene is just uh, slightly snuck up on us but it's here with a vengeance now. Yeah, it sure has. The uh, opening ceremony is perfect timing uh, for New Zealand. I, I believe it's it's sometime around 6 o'clock, I think, uh, tomorrow morning. So great to have that on. Have that on while you're listening to Izzy and Kempi and Bricky, of course, and then it's all wrapped up by the time we're on the air. So uh, I'll have a lot of fun watching that, Smithy. And then the lovely Araha, our newsreader, has brought out a whole schedule of our New Zealand uh, competitors, all done in New Zealand times. Day one is so massive, Smithy. I mean, it's starting from 9.14pm and it goes all the way to 8am. So it's, it's going to be an awesome, awesome, I think, what is it, like 10 days of sport? I can't wait. What do we kick off, uh, pass off with? Let's so with the appetite. So whipping the wetting the appetite for us. We've got track cycling, the women's four thousand meter team pursuit qualifications. We also got swimming, more track cycling, triathlon. Uh, our Black Ferns Sevens will have their first game against Canada at six past ten pm. Uh, of course, later in the show, we're speaking with Megan Hull from the uh, Black Sticks women's side. They will. 
Oh my god, I'm uh, losing track of the list here. I'm pretty sure they're playing as well. They got Kenya, uh, the men's black sticks are playing at eight a.m. and then we got the all black sevens are playing at uh, four minutes past eight a.m. against Samoa. So big, big day. Yeah, first day. I, I looked briefly at it myself and I thought, really, really, all that on the first day. I mean, how is it going to? They're going to possibly stretch it out for ten days if they're doing all these things at once. But then you get a, a, a reminder, I suppose, of the scope. And the and the depth of the sports and, and and just how far and and away that they are spread throughout. So uh, I'm I'm so looking forward to it as as we've uh, highlighted over the last few days. The memories of the Commonwealth Games are are very very fond. We quite clearly we do better at the Commonwealth Games because the non Commonwealth uh, countries are not there, and we've got a really proud history of being very competitive in it. Some of my great memories of sport are actually uh, in the Commonwealth Games. So uh, yeah, Logan, it, it's. It's going to be cool. It really is. And I, I, as I've said a couple of times, I forecast this to be an extremely, extremely successful Commonwealth Games for New Zealand. Yeah, I do too. And uh, one thing with the No Leaming Partnership you mentioned before, each day uh, during our show, Smithy, we're gonna, we'll be doing a middle, a middle tally. So hopefully New Zealand is going to get featured a lot uh, on the show, as, as it should be. Okay, right. So they're just confirming Joel King. Uh, and Tom Walsh, two household names to New Zealanders, are our flag bearers at the opening ceremony, the first act of the Commonwealth Games. We'll be back shortly with a couple of texts uh, and then uh, a news break, and uh, after that we'll open up the phone lines and you can give us uh, some impressions of what you're looking forward to perhaps in the Commonwealth Games or your impressions or your thoughts now on where, where do you think Razor may well be heading. He's uh, uh, let uh, the cat out of the bag. He's been holding these thoughts pretty close to his chest, but now... Uh, that's been opened up at 9.23. But uh, a couple of callers waiting. That'll be just after the news at uh, 9.30 in the meantime. Uh, two or three texts have come in. Uh, Paul, my good friend, Paul of Fins Up, be a fanatic, uh, has said, Hi, Smithy, is it a, confident, a con- coincidence that you took a sickie the day the Tasman CEO was on air? Well, no, actually, I was looking forward, uh, Paul, to talking to uh, Lyndon Bray. Always a great chat with him. Uh, and looking forward to this uh, new venture that Tasman have got going. So uh, it was, well, it's a great disappointment of me, as you always uh, will be aware, Paul, not to be able to talk to uh, to Tasman people, um, with the exception of you, actually, to be honest. Um, John has come in and said, uh, I am through and through a Crusaders fan. We would hate to lose Razor overseas. However, we understand why he will have to leave our shores. So yet again, we see the arrogance and head in the sand approach from NZR. There is no way... They would admit to being wrong and not appointing Razor. Well, not to the public anyway. Jason and Leon were on his ticket to coach the ABs. What irony that is. Um, and uh, another person has come in who shall remain nameless. Great service. But to get Razor in there now, you idiots. <laughs> Can't believe a lot of people know rugby knowledge. Talking about Chris Boyd as if he is all black material. Are you serious? Boyd is a very similar coach to Foster. There is seriously something wrong with selecting players and coaches in New Zealand. Well, yeah, it uh, certainly uh, seems to be... Um, well, I wouldn't say there's something seriously wrong, but at the moment we're not going through a great cycle and it's all pointing back to the same uh, particular area, isn't it, uh, as is often the case. So more on that, uh, we've got um, a couple of callers from down south after the news here with Aroha uh, at 9.30. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. 
Yes, uh, get on the line, 0800-150-811 and uh, win that chemist warehouse voucher. And uh, this morning we've got a couple of guys lined up already. When you look in the dictionary in years to come or phrases in years to come um, and you see the one, uh, the phrase that says the one that got away, I hope they don't have uh, Razor Robertson's name next to it. Um, but that uh, looking like what he said yesterday may well be on the cards. Uh, Jeff the Ref, good morning to you from the lovely Cromwell. Yeah, you can have the old man flu, buddy. I had to yeah. it last week, but uh, yeah, that's a bit of a bugger, isn't it? It is a bit um, of a bugger, actually. Just knock, it just knocks you. I had the old uh, COVID test. I've, I feared I might have the, the dreaded two lines, but I only got the one, so here we are. Yeah, uh, you'll get it. If you haven't had it, you'll get it one day. So I think, I, uh, yeah, a bit of a bugger about Razor. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I'm a true Hollanders fan, but but, I, but he's definitely the best coach in the country we've had for years. But um, The thing I was going to bring up, though, was, do you, you listen to uh, Linda Bray talking to Ricardo yesterday? No, I wasn't able to, actually. I was fast asleep, so I'll, I'll be checking that out on the podcast, which you can do here, of course, on, on SENZ. Well, I've known Linda in the tree, obviously, been a, a, a involved in refereeing for the, over the last 27 years, but he's a good bugger. You know, there's a lot of actually ex-top referees that are in CEO or management positions because they've got the man management skills and how to relate to people. And, you know, and uh, and Lyndon, I want you go and listen to it. You know, he, he's, he, he's well-organised, got he's innovative. And I actually asked Ricardo to ask him, would he take over, if he was given the opportunity, would he... Take over Robinson's position as CEO for New Zealand Rugby, and he said he wouldn't count it out. So, to me, he's the future as well as Razor. So, yeah, I hope we don't miss out those that opportunity. What's your thoughts on well, that? Are, well, there are some great people involved in New Zealand Rugby. Um, more great people than not great people, and that is why rugby has been so strong over the years. But. Um, and, and a lot of that is volunteer work, as you well know, Jeff. Uh, you probably put a lot of volunteer time in yourself. Um, so m- my thoughts on that are I think you've got to be very careful when you're looking at pathways and who's likely to fill those pathways into any position in New Zealand rugby. Just like any uh, position in business, you've got to have um, a plan, uh, you know, a, a handing over plan um, in the wings because, uh, you know, these people can get headhunted. People's con- I don't know what a contract's worth these days. Uh, in terms of its longevity. So many people have get-out-of-jail clauses in their contracts now, um, as we've seen in the last two to three days. So, uh, Jeff, I wouldn't discount that either. Uh, You know, progressive, very successful provincial rugby union in this country. Um, You know, so, yeah, I I, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, um, but I can't all they hard for some of those top referees, you know, and... But he's probably one of the best. Of he makes you feel part of a team. He wants you to be involved in uh, any of the decision making when you when he's refereeing. And where where some of the other referees, top referees, um, don't want that. They want to be the man. They want to be number one on the paddock. But you know, Linda's just a good good bastard, you know. And uh, and he really, can just relate to people. Um, just, yeah. yeah, and that's important. That's important, mate. Okay, uh, thanks for your call, Jeff. Appreciate that. Sound like you're uh, halfway up, Cardrona. 
um, on the you know on the on the back of uh, uh, some deep breaths there. So I hope you're all good, man. Uh, Dean from Dunedin is uh, called in. Dino, uh, um, here we go. What do you reckon? Yes, Smithy, I couldn't agree more with what um, the mate from Cromwell was going on about with Lyndon Breeze. He's one of those rainbow warriors too, but who cares? You know, he get out there, does a bloody good job, and he speaks really well. What I was talking to your producer about before is it can only happen in New Zealand, mate. I'm bloody convinced of it. Like, it, the name Robinson is synonymous with one sport that's like a religion to me and the other one's like an enigma, but it doesn't help that we've got two Robinsons we're getting really, really tired of. And we got one bugger that we all love to bits, and he can't get a, the job he wants. Like, where else on the planet would this happen? I don't know, Dean. Um, but here's the thing for me. As I said in the sermon, um, we've got to be very worried now because uh, we all know what is... Uh, you know, we, we always thought, because we didn't know any different, that Razor was dedicated to the cause, and that cause was within New Zealand shores. Um, and, you know, as record speaks for itself, you only have to go to Orange Theory Stadium and look up on the light pylons to see how successful his dam will been lately. So, um, but now we learn um, on the back of uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, and I believe that was his great mate um, and colleague being seconded into the All Blacks, and him not, um, uh, he's finally broken. And, and uh, the thoughts that he's been harbouring, uh, he's uh, been made public, not through New Zealand avenues, actually by an overseas podcast. So... Uh, very interesting, um, Dean, but uh, when, he, when he's open like that, and you know one of the things about Razor Robertson is what he says he means, so it's it's worrying time. Well, it is, mate, but uh, I mean, I'm just, I'd like him to go to Ireland because I'd like him to win something. Because I, I don't think that they'll go as well as everyone thinks at the World Cup, to be brutally honest. I, I think Ryan, in a 12 months' time, will get that four-pack where it needs to be, and their back line's always going to be world-class. Whether we can beat France, beat South Africa, beat England, I'm not so sure, but even Australia, to be fair, look, there's another classic Rennie. Like, how the hell does he let go? At the time, he was well, he was better than Forrester as well. But it's, it's happened forever. Like, the same thing happened in 2007. You've heard me harp on about it. I would have booted the lot to touch. And then Gatlin buggers off, and Deans goes and does what he's doing, and they're all successful. Admittedly, we've won a couple of World Cups, but 2015, fair enough. 2011, extremely lucky. If Wilburton didn't do a tip-tap, well, I think Gatlin would have had his crowning glory there too. But I don't know, mate. Like, I want to support him. I just can't not support him. I'll chase the TAB where the money's good too, though, of course. But it's, it, it, it's only here. Like, I don't get it. I just I struggle big time with trying to work out like these guys are elected members on the board. Like Southland have got someone that goes, and Canterbury got someone that goes, and Otago have got someone that goes, and Hawks Bay have got someone that goes. Everyone's got Auckland probably got three guys that go, but I don't understand it. Like and he's a Taranaki man too, isn't he, Robinson? Like who's pushing his buttons? Like why can't we ask him? What did you see in Forster? But now it's clear that wasn't there, and no disrespect to Plumtree, because I don't believe he was a selector through all this. He might have been for the last test, but the, well, the, the, sorry, the South African series, but that just makes it worse. They ask him who he'd like, and then they Roger him. Like, man, I'd love to have a beer with him. I, I like Plumtree. Like, he showed his despair when he had his hand on his head after that Irish test. He, you could just see that he was so gutted as a, as a Kiwi, and it's just... 
they're part of history. That's the hard part. Like, all those All Blacks that played that day will have a reunion one day. But the sad part of it is, they created history. You know, Dean, there's an, an interesting thing here um, for me. When you get picked to play uh, for your country, you want to play for the shirt or the jersey. That's what you've been seeking in your wardrobe or in your, you know, your locker is that shirt with your name on it or your number on it. Um, then, of course, you get used to that. I mean, you, you will absolutely every day you'll get up for that particular reason. But it, it gets to the point where you sort of get used to that if you're a regular member of the side. The next thing you have to do is be motivated um, by the people leading you from above. Um, and that, I think, is uh, where the issue is at the moment. Zaid, um, Zaid from Auckland. Thanks, Dean. Zaid from Auckland. Good morning to you, Zaid. Uh, good morning. Um, watched a bit of the cricket um, on Spark, New Zealand versus Scotland. I just want to say, I think we've found an, another opener for the World Cup of T20. Finn Allen, 101 off about 50 rocks. Absolute brute hitting. Um, and I think we've found another gem of New Zealand cricket. Just the depth of New Zealand cricket, we've never seen it before. It's just insane how much depth we've got. You know, Devin Conway, he's not there. And then you find this kid like a Finalen, who can just absolutely brute hit it. And you've also got an opening with Martin Guptill, who's New Zealand's pretty much best ever opener in world cricket. I mean, the best ever opener in T20 one-day world cricket, pretty much. Mm. Yeah, totally agree with you, Zaid. Here's the thing. Um, uh, it looks like uh, they're going to line up Daryl Mitchell to play in the middle order and be a closer. Uh, and I, I don't mind that, which means they have to find and someone then even at the top Jimmy of the Neesham, order. Thirty off nine. Yeah, it's just like yeah, Jimmy Neesham. Jimmy Neesham. Yeah, uh, can we just temper it a wee bit, though, Zay? Can we just just temper it a wee bit? And apologies all yeah. to uh, all you lovely Scottish people out there. But at the end of the day, mate, it's Scotland. It's Scotland. Let's see how they go um, against the West Indies. Let's see how yeah, they front yeah. up against Australia and Darwin and the One Day Internationals. And uh, we might just get a, a bit of a leveller there, Zay. But I appreciate your enthusiasm. You can only score against who you're up against. You're dead right. Uh, and 101 and uh, in a T20 international, uh, albeit against Scotland, uh, is a very good performance. So, yeah, Gary Stead's over there. He's the boss of uh, pretty much everything going on on the playing side of New Zealand cricket. And along with Gavin Larson, they've been uh, they've been trying to get this guy through. For uh, Allen, he's been on the on the fringes for quite a while. Mike Hessen talks very fondly about him, so it looks as if uh, we've got a, a little sniff of him uh, finding uh, how he's uh, feeling at, at that level. But as I say, this just temper a wee bit. It is Scotland. Joe, g'day, Joe. Joe from Gizzy. How are you, mate? I'm very well, Smitty. Good to hear that you're uh, back on your feet, mate. Hey, um, you're just looking through and watching the whole fiasco from us losing the series and now everybody wanting Fozzie's head uh, and, and, and everyone praising Robertson. Listen, I think uh, you need to step above that and just kind of find how poor Mark Robertson has run uh, into the RFU since he's come in. Right? There's been huge issues in the female game where we had uh, mental health issues which, which were publicly aired on, on the socials. And then it took them a long time to clean that up and change the culture. And, and, and I still don't think they've done that. Um, when, you, when you look at the team makeup and the coaching makeup, and then we come again here, we're in trouble. 
And Fozzie admitted it to everybody, Smithy, that he wasn't a hands-on coach. He had coaches. So under pressure from the whole country, under pressure from the uh, the board above, they ex they ex to two coaches. Now now young uh, young Moore, he's he's a ex uh, Canterbury man under who, who came up under Robertson, and Plumtree who's been around for years, and 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 we'll just go and grab another job somewhere else. But but hanging two of your team, you know, you're a team. You don't go hanging two of your team out like that. And then say radio, and then go and steal your oppo, your oppo's best man, and that's what they have done. So it's a big slap in the face. Also, I think you got to look at Robertson, and he wants out, you know. Besides crusaders, but he's also got a young family, right? And that's another thing that he's looking at. If he stays longer, his family and his young children go up into different intermediates, into different high schools, or, or into different different schools. So that's another thing that him and his wife would be looking at because once you go overseas, you know, and you're the coach of England or you're the coach of Ireland or you're the coach of uh, Scotland, the doors open hugely over there and you rise up and then you are seen as something quite prestigious. Whereas at the moment, you know, Fozzie walked down the street, everyone would tell him where to go. And we're struggling now, right, to look past Robertson. Yeah, yeah, Robertson's gone. Okay, we say that. You've said it. Everybody said it. He's come out and said it in the podcast. Right. So, so who's the next? Who's the next cab off the rank, Smithy? The next cab off the rank um, that I can foresee in there is uh, look. I, I go back to an interview staff he had the other day um, with. I think his name was Wayne Holdsworth. I, I, I stand corrected if it wasn't when he said some people are just always going to be regarded as assistant coaches. And he was looking at the Ian Foster scenario there. Um, if Razor Robertson goes, I don't see it. I don't see an absolute standout. That how that is how far out in front Razor is for me, Joe. Um, and um, the, the succession plan there, if Razor goes, uh, it'll make them even more nervous. But if he does go, if they, we hear in the months coming up or weeks coming up that he has signed a prestigious deal uh, with an overseas country who surely... Who surely will be ringing? Look, look how quickly uh, Argentina got hold of Michael Checker. Now, Michael Checker's record was awful compared to Razor Robertson's uh, coaching record to the level he's coached at so far. I mean, he's got to be hot on the agenda, hot on the agenda of most countries because he's a winner. He's a winner, uh, and he makes people into winners, and that is, I think, the essence of coaching. Thanks to all the calls this morning, Joe. Made a great point there. Absolute great point. Thank you for that. It is 9.47 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, we've been talking uh, Commonwealth Games news, of course, uh, and that is courtesy of uh, Noel Leeming. Um, and in the women's cycling, there was uh, some sad news for Ali Wollaston, who uh, fractured a wrist in a crash in the Tour de France Femme Pro Road Race just two days ago. Well, uh, Kieran medalist uh, Alice Andrews, of course, has come to the rescue of her endurance teammates in the women's team pursuit at the Commonwealth Games. No stranger to endurance uh, is Andrews, having won the three junior world championship medals in the team in individual pursuit, including a gold in Italy in 2017. She offered, accepted the offer to join with the teammates of Bryony Botha, uh, Michaela Drummond and Emily Shearman, which has been ratified by the New Zealand Olympic Committee and events officials. For me, she said it was simple. This is the only way my teammates will get to ride in the team pursuit. I have sprint qualifying that day, but it won't affect me physically. Rather, it gives me a short hit out 
on the track in her race mode. Uh, just uh, very quickly too, uh, one more text that has uh, come in. Matthew Ridge spoke great sense this morning. We need to put the broom through the top, start again fresh, so true. If we lose Razor, it will be travesty uh, to uh, let the most creative and innovative coach in New Zealand ha- go. They will be queuing up for his services. The Palms will have a huge checkbook, no doubt about that. Quite a lot of them will. 9.53. Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold her. Know when to fold her. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, uh, today what are we looking at? Well, uh, out of the... Ad- theory of out of the adversity comes uh, a great performance. I'm going to actually not take the Manly Seagulls to win tonight, but I'm going to take the point start of 17 and a half points, okay? Plus 17 and a half against the Roosters. So when they run out, they've got uh, a three try, converted try advantage basically. I'll take that at $1.90. The Tampa Bay Rays to beat the Baltimore Orioles this afternoon in baseball at $1.87. And in tennis, Sarah Arani to beat Katarina Beindl uh, at $1.69. Uh, that Maldi's up at 6 bucks. so you've got uh, the Sea Eagles into the Rays into uh, uh, Rani at uh, $6 throughout the next 24 hours. Interesting to see, too, just a little clip on uh, the sports news coming in on Fox that uh, those mainly players that won't wear the jersey and not considered for selection are not allowed to go to the game either, and the police have come in on this for security reasons. Wow, that's gone very deep, hasn't it, over there in the NRL. It's time for Aroha Now with the news. Behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it is 10.03 here on SENZ. And uh, yesterday, Golf New Zealand and the Professional Golfers Association of New Zealand, otherwise known as the PGA, have entered a landmark agreement, uh, they say, marking an historic day for golf in Aotearoa. The agreement between the national body and the PGA will see an enhanced and cohesive approach to the delivery of services throughout the country. Great news for golfers, it would seem. But what does it mean? How's it come about? Let's uh, get on the phone now to uh, Michael Glading, of course, uh, from the PGA. Michael, uh, one of the foremost uh, names in not just New Zealand sport, but music as well. Uh, these days, of course, applying his expertise to the golfing side of things, a keen golfer himself with a lot of connections within the industry. Michael, we've had you on the show before. It was great. It's uh, even better that we've got you back to talk about this fantastic agreement. Uh, good morning to you. You must be very pleased. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I am, actually. It's been, uh, uh, like all these uh, well-hatched plans, it's been a bit of, uh, it, it's been a, quite a while in the making. Um, but to actually see it finally out in the public arena, uh, yeah, I'm very pleased to have got to this point. Thank you. So, Michael, uh, just before we uh, get to the nuts and bolts of uh, of what it's going to mean, could you just briefly explain to people that are probably not aware of uh, the difference between the PGA and Golf New Zealand as bodies? 
Sure, quite simply. Uh, Golf New Zealand, I guess, uh, in the broader sense, looks after the amateur game. So it's everybody from you and I who, who join clubs uh, through to the uh, elite uh, amateurs that go off and represent New Zealand around the world. So they are responsible for the delivery of the game in its wider sense. The PGA is a far more narrow uh, band of brothers, if you like, uh, because uh, and sisters, because we look after the professional golfers. So uh, and that uh, the professional golfers can be anybody from a coach uh, to the uh, person behind the counter in the, in the pro shop uh, through to the uh, Luke Toomey's and Mark Browns, if you like, who, who, who are largely our domestic profe- playing professionals. So, so we're, we're, we are the organisation that look after the, after the professional side of the game. Okay, so uh, in essence, how's it going to work now? What's, what's changed in the regard of uh, the operation of golf in New Zealand? Well, the, the PGA in New Zealand is, is, you know, certainly by world standards, uh, a, a fairly small organisation, um, and it really comes down to economies of scale. I've been on the board for three years now, um, and in, in that time, it's, uh, I, I think as an organisation, we very much stood still, and when you stand still in this world, you're going backwards. Um, and, and I think that uh, when, when, as a board, I guess when we looked at, uh, at our overall strategy and where we'd like to take the organisation, we lack one thing. And and that was a common uh, thing, and that is resource. And resources generally, obviously, mostly money, and 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 in our case, people. Um, you know, we had we have some good plans, good ideas. We are very good at certain things, including the education platform. So, if a young person uh, wants to form a career in golf through either becoming a golf coach or even uh, just working in the wider golfing industry, uh, we have a three-year education platform, which uh, we think is really world class. In fact, I know it's world class. So that's something we're very, very good at. But even in that area, we're sort of under-resourced and we have uh, two people who are full-time in in that role. But they're always... uh, growth of the game has seen more and more people wanting to get into the game both at both at the coaching level and at the participation level and at the coaching level again we've only got two people who are doing the education so it's a I guess a, you know this whole move has been about actually taking our resources who have uh, expertise and then adding them to the resource of the national body and uh, it means uh, we continue to deliver our programs, but if our, if our staff, if you like, need help, uh, they've got a pool of people who will help them. So that, that's it in its broader sense. It's, it's about taking, our, our, in, in one case, existing manpower and, and allowing them to have access to more resource. And then, on the other hand, we're creating a, two new roles, um, which, uh, which we also think are, are much needed. And that's all, I guess, part of that overall plan to, for the organisation to keep moving forward. And it wasn't moving forward, and it wasn't moving forward because it didn't have access to resource. This gives the PGA access to enormous resource, being the national sporting body, which is uh, you know, very well run by Dean Murphy and his crew. Uh, what people may not be aware, Michael, is uh, both of these uh, institutions, uh, Golf New Zealand, with various names over the years, uh, dates back to 1910. PGA dates back to 1913. They've been around, for, in, in essence, uh, for uh, around about 110 years each. So they have a history, and a, a growing history as well, to the extent now uh, where you say what, about 2,000 people are involved or uh, employed in the, in the golf industry in New Zealand? 
Well, that's right. And, and, and as I say, the game is growing uh, and that opens up even more employment opportunities. So, yeah, it's a very viable industry. And it's quite interesting, you know, I just attended a, a, an international meeting with the PGAs from all around the world. And, of course, at one end of the scale, you have the PGA of America. And I guess at the other end of the scale, you have the PGA of New Zealand. And, uh, you know, we have a staff of five and they have a staff of probably, I don't know, many thousands. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to grow the game. Um, and the game is growing dramatically, but we're trying to feed the growth of that game. And, and to do that, again, I keep going back to it, you need resource. I mean, in America, it's, it's obviously being such a, a, a large industry. Uh, you know, the, the employment opportunities, if you like, are, are enormous um, because the industry is so big. And, and uh, you know, at a smaller scale, that's happening in New Zealand as well. There are going to be more and more opportunities for more and more people to be involved in the game, whether, whether that's as a coach or whether that's as managing a club as clubs become more and more professional and obviously one, one, not every club in the country has got the capability of doing that but many do so I think you know the, the, the game that's the encouraging part we're operating in a global environment which is showing a lot of growth we've just got to make sure we have the capacity to grow with it well, that is an interesting uh, point in itself you, yourself that, that you make about uh, the growth of the game because uh, we see systems, um, as you mentioned, the PGA, where a lot of golfers come through a college system. Uh, as such, they're on scholarships, etc., like that. Very few opportunities for that exist for, for young golfers in New Zealand. Is, is that a, a possible pathway in terms of academies, etc., that we, we may see opening up at some point? You you might have a little spy on my phone, I think, Ian, because I just had a meeting, came out of a meeting this morning with Golf New Zealand about exactly that subject. Uh, so uh, I, I appreciate you tapping my phone like that because it, was, it is very much a subject for discussion. Uh, absolutely. I, I think that, uh, you know, that, that's something that we see more and more of and something that we believe under our new partnership uh, uh, situation that we, that we can actually go to the point where people are really, you know, coming out of school if you like, and saying, I want to get a formal education and, and, and end up as a, as a golf manager or, a, you know, or, or even working in the retail side of the game or working in other areas of the game, as does, as you say, that is happening overseas. Uh, in New Zealand, because of our size generally, we have to be yeah, far more generalist than specialist, but I do see that growth that you're talking about where you can become more of a specialist as, as time goes on. That's certainly part of the... And I think with the PGA board now, I think now that we can... Now that I guess, if you like, we're trying to put a structure in place that we can then start thinking more strategically along with the subject you just talked about. Actually, okay, how do we now offer more opportunities uh, for young people who want to get into the game in, in, a, in, a, um, in an employment situation? Michael, lots of uh, new innovations in that. Uh, they're all exciting, etc. But most of them require money, as you said, funding. Yep. Uh, where at the yep. moment uh, do you rely heavily on from funding and what are the avenues that you're looking at there? Well, you know, again, getting back to, I guess, the limitation of the New Zealand PGA as it, as it has stood so far as all our, really, the vast majority of our funding is just coming from membership fees. So again, if I go back to why did we look at making a change is because if we wanted to grow the game and we wanted to add to our capacity at, under our current, under the previous model, the only way we could do that was to increase the fees. And, you know, if you keep charging people more and more and more to become a, in a membership organisation, you, you end up losing people. Um, because of the economics of you know the world we're in, especially right now. 
So I, I think, uh, again, Ian, as a board, I think that that's a real challenge. It's always a challenge, right, as where you're going to grow, grow uh, your financial base from. But I guess all I can say is that at this point, as a board, we recognise the need to actually widen our revenue base. And I think that this move, uh, it does give us access, again, to resource. It, it allows, for example, the commercial people who work with Golf New Zealand to actually put PGA on their agenda. We're in the past the two organisations that work completely separately. So if there's a discussion with a sponsor, that sponsor might look at doing something, you know, in, in at the grassroots part of the game, but it might also be interested in doing something in the professional part of the game. So I think, again, that combination of resource gives us more ability to generate more money. You're quite right. At the end of the day, that's what we have to do because this money doesn't grow on trees, unfortunately. Massive uh, aspect, I, I would imagine, of tourism in this country are uh, our, our visiting golfers as well. So I would imagine that when you talk, have talks about anything going forward in golf, you have to uh, look at the, the visitor side of things as well. Yeah, definitely, and I mean, I think to, to be fair to Golf NZ, that's something that they, you know, that that's something they've pushed very hard uh, under different government regimes. You've had different uh, different uh, focuses, I guess. You know, if we go back to uh, the government of sort of six, seven, or eight years ago, there was a very strong government backed drive on 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 certain aspects of tourism, which included golf. Uh, that's sort of fallen away a bit of late, um, but as as uh, as I guess tourism. Uh, bosses in their infinite wisdom have decided they're better off to, to focus on culture rather than than, uh, than some of our sporting activities but I see a pendulum swinging back a bit. I think golf and have done a very good job in terms of lobbying to make sure golf is seen as a really important tourism uh, element and and I think it is from what I know it is back on that agenda uh, and again it just opens up so many more opportunities because you know doesn't as you know I also run the New Zealand Open, and the New Zealand Open is very much a, a, a focal piece for for golf tourism, and 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 we get a, we get what exposure we can around the world, and that I do believe has an impact in, in attracting people to come and play golf in this country. Because unlike 20 years ago, we've now got some really great facilities. So, yeah. so you know, again, all positive stuff. But you're right; it takes direction, and it takes money, and it takes. Uh, even in this case, it takes, uh, you know, government commitment. And, and I think that government commitment is starting to come back, uh, finally. I can't think of uh, a better four-day window of um, showing um, the beauties of Queenstown, etc., in that region than uh, four days of golf coverage, to be perfectly honest. So I hope, like hell, uh, you're able to cash in on that in terms of the tourism department. Um, Michael, you just mentioned, of course, that uh, you've been away talking with uh, officials from other PGAs around the world. A dollar one in shortening. Uh, the subject of live golf came up. Not necessarily in that format, because again, ours was really uh, it wasn't a, wasn't a meeting with with uh, with the PGA Tour. It was rather with the PGA organisation. Those might be hard again for listeners to really differentiate. But um, hopefully, you know what I've talked about is is, is not that is, isn't. Uh, it's more about the the vocational side of the game, if you like, rather than the tournament side of the game. But of course, the subject of lift golf is on every debate, and uh, quite. And I had other non-PGA meetings, if you like, when I was when I was away, and and, and I, there wasn't uh, the, the word lift golf was um, probably in every single conversation, without exception. So it's a very hot topic, uh, as you can imagine, uh, around the world right now. 
So uh, can I ask you this question? And I, I imagine a lot of people have thought about this. If, say, because of the uh, these people that go to Live Golf who have signed contracts with Greg Norman, etc., to go there, of course there are opportunities to play around the world diminish because of that, but it does open up windows because of the, the tournaments they can't play all of a sudden, one of which might be the New Zealand Golf Open as such. Uh, what would you do if, if or would you even consider having players from Live Golf um, if they wanted to come to New Zealand, uh, play golf, have a bit of a breather, uh, get away from the spotlight as such and play in your tournament, what, what would your attitude be? Or have you even thought about that? Uh, yeah, we've definitely thought about it. I, I, I think, I think um, fence-sitting in this particular case is probably really the right, right thing to do, dare I say it, which are, if you know me well, you know that the last thing I normally am is a fence-sitter. I tend to be black or white, much to my wife's chagrin. But uh, I think in this case, you know, we are everything, everybody who's not day-to-day involved in it is really hoping they will, it, will, it will reach some sort of slash settlement slash level. Right now, it's a very toxic discussion. And look, we have a very good relationship, for example, which I have to say was built through Golf NZ with the Royal and Ancient. And as you know, if you may recall, last year we, we, we were actually granted some spots, uh, qualifying spots for the British Open. Um, we're trying to keep that back on the table. And if we were to do, if we were to take uh, live golf players, uh, that would be off the table, I'm sure. So, um, so look, I, I think it's one of those things where, where there are certain things in life. It's great to be, the, you know, the first cab off the rank because you, you, you know, because you win the race. Sometimes being a later cab off the rank is probably the right thing to do, and I think that, that might be this case. Okay, Michael, um, I'm sure we'll have a great reason to ring you again when some more decisions around that are made. And, and honestly, as we're getting to the second half, into the second half of the year, we'll, we certainly want to talk to you more about um, your tournament coming up as well. So, hey, thanks for enlightening us uh, on this new development. Very, very, very exciting news and uh, terrific for golf all round, which at the end of the day is the main reason for it. Cheers, and thanks for your time. Travel safe. And thank you very much, Ian. Take care. Yeah, Michael Glading there, of course, uh, from the PGA, just outlining this new deal between Golf New Zealand and the PGA and the benefits uh, of that particular deal. Uh, and yes, don't worry, um, I, I think at some point in the future they'll just start to spread their wings, some of those live golf players. They'll go for the Asian tours, they'll go for those ones uh, where they can come. They're not necessarily coming for the money because right here and now, to be honest, um, the prize money of the New Zealand uh, Golf Open compared to what they're making and just signing on fees doesn't even equate it's not even in the same conversation but to come and play um, and just uh, show your face in another area of golf may be uh, part of the agenda we don't know we might uh, see that uh, Ten nineteen here panel next big talk big opinions the panel Experienced panellists on with us this morning and uh, Jordan Oppert and of course Brad Lewis uh, Jordan if I can start with you uh, a revelation from Razor um, on a podcast from overseas, not to one of our local journalists, but uh, his time might be a little bit shorter than people think in this country. Oh, I know. Good morning, Smith. Good morning. I think it's Brad as well. Hey, Brad. Um, oh, look, you got it. I love Razor's honesty. I always have. I think he tells it how it is, and good on him for shooting his shot, I guess. I mean, you'd like to think he's not the one that gets away from New Zealand rugby because I think there'd be so many people absolutely gutted by that because. He's one of a kind, Razor. He truly is. I spend a lot of time around him and I have for the last few years, um, you know, following the Crusaders. And he's got an aura about him that is 
I would say unmatchable. He's 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 definitely one of a kind. And I mean, I spoke to Colin Mansbridge, the CEO of the Crusaders, on um, Sunday and asked him how the conversation went down between Jace and uh, Jason Ryan and Razor when Jason did leave to the All Blacks. And he said one word, and it was emotional. And I can imagine it would have been because Razor is someone who's always tried to help his assistants get places too. And it's just so unfortunate he's not there yet. But I. I think his time will come. It's got to. I just hope he's not the one that gets away. Jordan, I just wonder how, how often over the last five years his phone has rung anyway with offers from overseas, not nations as such, but uh, high-profile club sides. And he said no. I mean, we said no because he's still here. But I just wonder now um, if those the same people will call or new people will call and what his attitude will be right now. Oh, yeah, totally. I would say his phone would have gone hot as soon as that happened because I'm sure there are teams all over the world who would love to snap him up. And we know that there have been offers. He's spoken about that in the past. But I don't, I don't know whether it's sort of he wanted to send out a bit of a warning bell to New Zealand rugby that if they don't start listening, that maybe he will have to consider these more. Um, I mean, he's always said he wanted to wait until his um, boys were at an age or his children were at an age that uh, they were able to, you know, go forward in life and make their own decisions too. They're nearly finished at high school, I believe. So the time is now for Razor. It really is. And he said that himself. I was actually surprised he was so old. I mean, he's still young, but, like, also old. He just comes across like this, you know, hip kind of... I don't know. I thought he was younger than that. But, um, yeah, I mean, the time is now for Razor. It really is. And I think a bit of a warning bell, really. Yeah, a warning bell, all right. Uh, Brad Lewis... Uh, what did you make of it yesterday? Because um, it wasn't on uh, through New Zealand avenues, but it, the news came quickly here. Yeah, uh, interesting strategy from Razor, and I think a really good one. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you can only imagine uh, what that conversation with Eddie Jones was uh, that he would have had last week. Uh, and uh, speaking to Miles Harrison, a really, really uh, excellent English rugby commentator, he kind of said to me uh, a couple of weeks back that the English Rugby Union will almost be hoping that Ian Foster can turn this around so that they can take a run at uh, Razor post um, the Eddie Jones era, which will conclude at the Rugby World Cup. I mean, can you imagine the money that the English Rugby Union would throw at Razor to become their head coach? Uh, it, would, it would be astronomical. And, uh, yeah, um, Steve Hansen this morning telling Tova O'Brien that he says Razor's time will come. He just needs to bide his time. Um, and he actually said he, he doesn't think he needs the international experience before becoming an All Blacks coach. And he, um, and he sort of, you know, uh, just his advice to Razor was to be patient. His time will come. But uh, when you're as good a coach as Scott Robertson, who has won in every single coaching environment he's ever been in, including uh, underage um, international rugby, uh, you're going you're gonna to command big salaries and big offers from some of the best teams in the world. And that's international teams, not club teams. Well, they're testing his patience, uh, if that's uh, Sir Steve Hansen's uh, attitude, and uh, quite clearly the, the fact that Ryan, Jason Ryan went across uh, was uh, almost the straw that broke the camel's back, I was thinking, Brad, in that re respect, because straight away we get this announcement um, and this revelation from Razor as such. And we all know, uh, we've seen it with Brendan McCullum, uh, the pound is very powerful, uh, and uh, yeah. enough pounds, uh, if enough pounds come down the, the telephone line, um, mate, you'll go, won't you? You'll just go. You, you would hope, Smithy, and I know that we don't have a lot of trust in the NZR, right, with what's happened recently, but you would hope that they, are, they have an open line of conversation with Scott Robertson. And, look, uh, a lot of All Black fans wanted him in this job last week. 
uh, even before then. Uh, I think if, if he was offered, I don't know if he would have taken it, to be honest, given that he was on a, a hiding to nothing. And uh, you would hope that there's a line of communication where they've said to Scott, look, mate, regardless of what happens next year, you're our man moving forward for the next two World Cups. You would hope that that conversation is ongoing and that the appointment of Jason Ryan is the first step in getting Scott Robinson to all-black coach uh, post-Rugby World Cup. Absolutely do. We'll take a quick break uh, for some news with uh, the lovely Aroha. And when we come back, more from uh, Jordan Oppert and Brad Lewis here on SENZ. I'm so stoked for them both. I mean, as you say, popular choices. The emotion got me this morning, seeing like, you know, Tom Walsh, who's a bit of a, I don't want to say a big teddy bear, I'm not sure he'd appreciate that, Smithy, but Jesus, it just it really brought it home how much it means to them. Um, and I guess in terms of the games is here now, I guess opening ceremonies and flag bearers rather always make you realise it's right here. And I'm actually really pumped for it now. I'm excited to see Tom Walsh get to work. I'm excited to see Sophie Pascoe, Dame Sophie Pascoe, I should add. Um, I think it's going to be a very emotional game for her. She's just got the one race. Um, you know, and the person that we've always gone to is, so Sophie had have done well in the pool with Nana Pascoe, the matriarch of their family, who unfortunately passed away just before Sophie left. So I think there's going to be a lot of emotion in that. Um, I look forward to seeing the cricket as well, the, the, the um, White Ferns in action. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that team goes. Obviously the re-inclusion in the Commonwealth Games, but also from the team perspective, given everything they've been through in the last, geez, as you could say, just about year now, I would say. New coach, how that's going to go. But look, I think it's going to be really exciting. A lot of uh, middle prospects over there. Let the games begin. Let the games begin. Uh, let the Warriors uh, stop bickering on the field. Brad Lewis, that's what we're hearing. Senior players saying they need to end this on the field stuff. So it's not just in the boardroom or in the front office, uh, so to speak. I mean, can we just like, can we just wipe this season out, Smithy, and just like, can we just like stop playing? Like, I, I, I don't know, mate. Like, uh, it, it's so depressing. Uh, I love this club. I love it so much with a passion. Uh, it, you know, it's it's been a passion of mine since since '95 and. This has to be the worst season in club history. I know that they got the wooden spoon one year under Frank Endicott, I think maybe first league, first year of Super League. This is the worst season in the history of the Warriors. And last week uh, sort of epitomized their entire season. A first half where they were fantastic. They defended superbly. They, they defended for their line. They defended for their club. Uh, and they scored a couple of really nice tries. And Sean Johnson, Johnson ran the cutter exceptionally well. In the second half, they were horrible horrible it was a pathetic performance and i don't know how the team can go from 40 minutes of greatness to 40 minutes of, of being pathetic and yeah like every week after the game we see tohu harris comes out and criticizes team for you know lack of lack of effort or jazz to you know they need to get on the same page uh look hopefully andrew webster can come in and make some changes but man i i fear for the team next year i know we've got a few roster changes coming in and there's some good players coming into this team some good young players but I fear for next season too, Smithy. I just I don't know how this club can turn it around. We've seen it with the Bulldogs for the last five years where the same sort of things were happening at their club like three or four years ago. Uh, I, I, I fear for next season and I fear for the future of this club with the, with the current state of their culture. It's a, it's a real worry. Jordan Oppert, we rely on you now that you've got the green light for your new stadium down there. 13-3, to 3, the councillors voted in favour of it. 
I, I just wonder um, how much progress have they made since that vote because we need you for almost like a weekly update. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the commute's still the same, adding another three minutes each way home, Smithy. Um, I'm just actually having a look outside now. Can't really see that far down, but look, the fences are up still. Uh, I have noticed using extra... When I went past last night, I did notice there's an extra couple of um, entry points for those making excavation work. So, look, any progress is good progress at this rate because it's been sitting as it was for God knows how long. So, look, we'll, we'll take that as a win. But, yeah, more than happy to provide your weekly update. And I just wonder, with, um, uh, with just on the, the subject of rugby league, that will enhance, uh, I would imagine... Uh, a chance down there with a great facility like that of a possibility of a second side? Oh, don't say that. Well, look, I've got to say, actually rugby league is massive here in Christchurch. It is a, it is a big sport. A lot of people do play it. Um, I understand actually the Hornby Panthers are the, are, are the big ones, but they're currently using Napunawai, so that's a pretty nice facility out there for them as well. They've got a little mini stadium out there, but I'm sure they're like loving the prospect of being able to play in the stadium too. So look, never say never. A lot of talents come from here, I think, actually, and a lot of people as well, Until maybe until now, until this idea, have had to leave the South Island and head up north if they wanted to crack it, because unfortunately down here you're in a little bit of a bubble if you're playing league, but yeah, really strong competition. A lot of teams play and a lot of people love it. I can see it as a real viable uh, option, actually. I hear a little groan in the background there from uh, Brad Lewis while we were talking about it, which I thought was quite rude, actually. But uh, just by the by, uh, Brad, uh, and, and I just saw something, too, on Facebook, Brad, where the Warriors uh, are now calling Mount Smart their fortress because they haven't lost there now for 1,061 days. <laughs> How good is that, eh? Like, at least they, they see the funny side. And, hey, they were very good against the Tigers, but let's be honest, the Tigers are a worse muck than, than the Warriors. So, uh, look, um, uh, Melbourne Storm, man, I, oh, I talked about fear before. A Melbourne Storm side coming off the back of, what, three or four losses with a Craig Bellamy rocket up their bums. Uh, I, the score could be cricket-related uh, this weekend, Smithy. OK, well, let's change subject to them in terms of uh, this weekend, and that, of course, is UFC 277. Um, so that is a very important one for New Zealand uh, interest, of course, Kaikara France is uh, on. Um, uh, he's on the bill there, uh, as well as uh, uh, a rematch between uh, Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes. Now, a lot of people uh, around UFC say when uh, Pena beat Nunes, it was one of the biggest upsets in the UFC for quite some time. How do you see those two fights going? It was the biggest upset in UFC history, probably. You know, the Amanda Nunes was an un champion and Juliana Pena an unfancied challenger and she shocked the combat sports world with a phenomenal performance but I think Nunes takes the rematch I think she'll make the changes she needs to um, and be a little bit less aggressive um, she's a phenomenal fighter she has so many ways to win that fight and I think she'll get the job done um, but for me Kai Carter France the opportunity to become the first New Zealand born uh, UFC champ. I know it's an interim champ, but as he said earlier this week, it's still a gold belt. It's still got UFC written on it. It's still his title. He's been phenomenal in the last 18 months with three back-to-back uh, -back wins uh, and one of them against the former UFC champ in his own right and the number one contender last time out. Uh, I, uh, you wouldn't find a nicer bloke Smitty in New Zealand sport than Kai Carter France and a guy who works so hard uh, to, to where he's got to. And you look at his record, and a lot of people will say, oh, 22 and 9, what's this guy doing? But in the last 10 years, he's 17 and 3, 
Uh, so that that's that's that shows me that he's found something in the last decade. You know, it was the, the first sort of year and a half of his career where he was taking fights at ridiculous weights and had a 50-50 record. You look at his, his measure of work over the last sort of eight, nine years, it's been phenomenal. So uh, I would love to see the man crowned a UFC champion. I think he's got a great chance. Close fight with Moreno last time out, just lost it. Uh, it's going to be a phenomenal fight, Smithy. I hope a lot of our Kiwi eyes are going to be on it. Uh, we could have another UFC champ uh, in, in our stable, and that gym is just, again, City Kickboxing housing potentially three UFC champions. How amazing is that for a gym down in New Zealand, this little side of the world, that a little gym in Auckland could house three UFC champs and two of the best fighters in the world in Volkanovski and Adesanya? It is an amazing stat when you boil it down to that. There's no uh, doubt about that, Brad. Uh, Jordan, uh, you mentioned before, you know, you've, you've spent a lot of time around the Crusaders and Razor. Uh, but what about Jason Ryan? A lot of people don't really know too much about Jason Ryan, apart from his fine record with the Crusaders. Are you confident he is the man uh, to, to fix this forward pack, get it going in the right direction? And, and, and his, uh, his personality, can you tell us a wee bit about that? Yeah, I mean, Jason, um, to be fair, he doesn't front a lot in media circles. It's usually Razor and then the coaches, uh, the captains rather. But I see a lot of them out there. He's got a he's got a real rugby brain. He's super, you know, he's textbook kind of coach, and that's what Razor said he loves about him. Um, you know, he's always got the gadgets out, whether it be an iPad, whether it be an actual handbook, like a handwritten notebook. Um, he's always doing things by the book and his textbook, and I think you can't fault that. As a person, he's always super professional. Um, I feel like he comes into every media briefing and he knows exactly what he wants to get across. He's very articulate in what he does. I guess that comes on and off the field too. And he is a really nice guy at the end of the day as well. I think um, I've always had quite good dealings with him, um, as have quite a few of the people around me. So I think, yeah, I, I rate him and I rate his honesty as well. He'll tell us a spade to spade, you know, and he'll, he'll tell you that. He doesn't mince his words. Um, he, I think the other main thing as well is that he asks a lot of people, I guess his players, but his players also the same as him, and he gets a lot out, the, out of them. He gets the most out of them, and he wants them to be the best they possibly can be. I mean, I was with um, speaking to Fletcher Newell's dad yesterday um, after Fletcher got his All Blacks call up, and he said if it wasn't for Jason Ryan, Fletcher wouldn't be half the player he has been. He's built him into this not only amazing player, but amazing person too going forward. And I think that's really special, that the ability that he has to create relationships. So I have no doubt he would have hit the ground running with the All Blacks this week. Um, and I guess we'll just wait and see what comes from South Africa. We will, um, but it is interesting, and I'm not being snarky or smarty here, uh, Jordan, to think that the very first change that he makes out of necessity because of injury, he pulls in a crusader, of all things. Could you believe that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, let's not go. Let's not go there, Smithy. Let's not go there. Okay, I'll, I'll let you finish on this then. What, what's the event you're most looking forward to uh, in the Commonwealth Games? The one that really in, uh, is going to inspire you the most. You think looking ahead? Oh, that's a tough one. Because as I've found with any games and Commonwealth Games, it's often the story that you didn't expect that ends up being your favourite and most memorable. But hey, I'm really looking forward to seeing Tom Walsh in action. He really wants a gold. Um, he's ready to put it all out there, especially after the world champs didn't quite go his way. I think he's got a bit of pent-up energy. Obviously being flagged there are two now, it just adds a whole other level to it. So I've got to say, big Tommy Walsh is the one that I'm looking forward to. Okay, and Brad? 
I, I like Lewis Kleber. Like he's in a really tough, tough uh, field with a couple of the fastest guys in the world. But he was so awesome at the Olympics, and uh, it would be great to see him standing on the on the dice, getting any any medal color. To be honest, but I really like that guy. He's a he's a good Kiwi bloke. Uh, he works hard, and I'd love to see him achieve uh, great things in, in Birmingham. Two great Kiwis with us this morning too, Brad Lewis and Jordan Oppert. Thank you very much to you both uh, for your participation this morning and we'll catch up with you again very shortly. We shall have another panel same time tomorrow morning. Voice of Sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand Pacing for Purpose Season 2. Rightio, uh, let's uh, get stuck into this one because uh, we're going okay, uh, but uh, we're trying to raise money for our particular charity, uh, which is uh, Women's Refuge, uh, and we uh, this weekend uh, have our pacing horse uh, racing uh, tomorrow night, actually, at Alexandra Park. It's race six, number four. Uh, it is uh, Chimichurri. Now, uh, last time out, Chimichurri was uh, beaten into second. It was a very short favourite. Um, I'm expecting it will be pretty short tomorrow as well. I just tried to get the market up. It's not available on the uh, TAB website at the moment, but I would imagine Chimichurri will be pretty short. Uh, so uh, get on that. Um, you might need to put a bit on, but uh, as always with uh, these things, we advise you to bet responsibly. Uh, Harness Racing, incidentally, you can get amongst it at hrnz.co.nz or you can join uh, Mick and Greg every Sunday from 12pm to uh, 1 o'clock with coverage of all Harness Racing action from... Uh, across New Zealand, that is Trot's Talk, the programme, and that's all thanks to the great people at Harness Racing New Zealand. Uh, we were going to talk to Louis uh, earlier, but uh, he's on a plane. Uh, the the other news is, of course, that um, Waverley's been called off today, so we usually talk to Louis at this stage of the week uh, about a tip or two for the day. Well, no point, because uh, again, another race meeting is uh, knocked on the head, so... Uh, we've had that uh, with uh, Levin, of course. Uh, Levin with their, their big race meeting and uh, their feature uh, is now going to be the Rider Stakes. will be held at Tarapa this weekend as an added feature on their programme and must really, really start to irk now. Trainers and owners, etc., who have to go the extra mile, play the extra costs, uh, or even not go the extra mile and miss out on an opportunity close to where their facilities are. It must be really, really biting away at them. Uh, okay, a couple of uh, texts. Jeremy's coming and said, I think Robertson has realised over the last week that he doesn't have that international experience that uh, let him down in 2019. Even Ryan has been with Fiji part-time for two years, which gives him an edge. He's putting the feelers out now. It'll be sad if he has to do a four-year apprenticeship other than not other than a top eight team coach. I don't think he'll be doing any apprenticeships. I think uh, he's gone past that mark, uh, Razor Robertson. Um, he would be looking at top jobs. Uh, Squid's come in and uh, has said, agree, Smithy, Foster will always be seen as an assistant no matter what he does, uh, and a successful one at that. Hanson never had that uh, because of his prior international experience and personality. If Razor goes, we need to be all in on Rennie and hope that the All Blacks remain one of the two teams he coaches in the future. Rennie will be the, will be better after his Wallaby stint. Sure, uh, he's a growing coach every day uh, and a fine person. Uh, on the subject of uh, rugby coaches, uh, of course, we've got uh, Chris Boyd now. Smart move from the Highlanders, adding Chris Boyd uh, to their coaching program uh, underneath uh, Clark Dermody. Uh, that's from Jamie at Wanaka. Well, Chris Boyd knows how to win him. Uh, he's done that well, and he's done particularly well uh, as he's left New Zealand and decided to come home. So 
they're all out there. There's hundreds of them literally in the making, uh, and I don't exaggerate there. Uh, we've got so many coaches in this country who are on the pathway to doing great things. The question is, will they be able to do them at home? Uh, Margaret, I'll give you this final say for the hour. And uh, Good on you for texting in too. What we're seeing is the outcome of someone mediocre, Robinson, appointing someone mediocre, Foster, because they're jealous of someone brilliant. Okay, Margaret, summed it up quite nicely in your, in your words, and uh, I guess also uh, in the words of a lot of, a lot of other people around the country, because the groundswell is uh, we're worried that Razor is going to go before we get our first dibs at him. It is 10.52 here on SENZ. Pip Greyhounds at Cambridge and Addington today, at least 99 times out of 100. The weather doesn't affect the Greyhounds. They're pretty rugged sort of individuals. They go in most things. They certainly are, Smitty. Good morning to you. Yeah, it was funny you say that, actually, because last week Cambridge was abandoned, but it was lower issues, so glad to have them back today. 13 races on the programme. I really like Frilling Fern in the distance. I know she's 1.9, but I think that's generous. She's been beating these type of fields week in and week out for Karen Walsh, so if you're looking for one to put through multi, I think she's a nice play. And in race eight, number six, girl Maria, she's a really nice type for Arch Lawrence. She's at 360. I thought that was nice shopping, Smitty. And on the sports side of things, of course, we do have the UFC to look forward to on the weekend. And Kaikara Fiance has been the best back head-to-head in the market with 74% of money stakes in Kaikara Fiance by KO or TKO, the most popular method of victory, at $7. I've got a nice bonus back around the UFC as well. Back the two Kiwis and get in their corner. You can place a pre-match head-to-head bet on Kaikara Fiance or Blood Diamond in the UFC 277 Smithy. And if your bet misses, we'll refund you up to $50 as a bonus bet. So a nice incentive better. Get them behind the series this weekend. Absolutely, Pip. Uh, you have a great day with the Greyhounds. Cambridge and Addington coming up for you today on the back of the news that Waverley, uh, in terms of the gallops, has been uh, called off due to track and uh, weather conditions. Uh, the country has copped uh, some really, really bad weather. But having said that, it's not a good look when it continues to happen. Uh, and one off at the weekend as well, which has been uh, transferred, the feature race, which has been transferred, of course, uh, to, to Rapa, and I'm referring to the rider stakes, the time-honoured rider stakes, having to change venues. 11 o'clock here on uh, SENZ, here's Aroha with the news. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, well, the Commonwealth Games begin with the opening ceremony tomorrow morning, New Zealand time, and the Black Sticks women take on Kenya in their first Pool B match tomorrow, 8pm New Zealand time. So uh, not long after that, and they're in action on day one. Megan Hull is uh, the Black Sticks uh, Sticks women's co-captain, very experienced campaigner, of course, uh, and uh, a little earlier today. Uh, producer Logan Swinkles uh, caught up with Megan for a chat on just how uh, it's all setting up for them. Joining us now on SNZ Mornings is co-captain of the Black Sticks women's side, Megan Hull. I mean, walking around Birmingham right now, is there a massive buzz around the place that the Com Games are in town? Kia ora, guys. Yeah, no, it is so cool. Really, really awesome. I think um, it's just like such a special, special event. And obviously, 
being a part of the wider New Zealand New Zealand team is is such a massive privilege. There's so much um, special meaning behind it, and and yeah, such a privilege for us to be here. Have you had a chance to check out the the turf at the university where you'll be playing? Yes, yeah, we have. We've had um, a couple of good training sessions and a couple of practice matches, which has been cool, and it's, it's outstanding. There's some um, a really cool setup, and I think there's also a few other sports there, so that's um, that's pretty cool too. Of course, there's going to be fans there, unlike Tokyo. So, in terms of the 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 state, well, not the state, well, yeah, the stadium, the turf there, where it is. What do you think it's going to be like for fans? You, like, are you expecting like high attendance there? Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be awesome for um, for hockey fans and, to be honest, non hockey fans too to watch. I think um, there's such a cool. Uh, sort of arena-like setup and um, really cool grandstands. So I think it's going to be such a showcase of um, of the sport. And, yeah, I can't wait to um, actually, you know, have family and, uh, all, like, lots of our family have um, made the big trip over. So I think it's just so special to be able to share these moments with them. Awesome. I mean, you've, you've checked out where you'll be playing. What about, like, the training facilities and stuff that are made available to the team? How do they compare for you to your time at the Tokyo Olympics? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I, I, somehow the New Zealand team just continue to outdo themselves uh, and just make everyone, you know, so comfortable. And um, and it's just such a cool, cool setup. So we've got the gym sort of right next to us. Um, where we're where we're staying in the New Zealand tent and all the wonderful you know New Zealand staff and team that make you stay so special and some um, some lollies and chocolate on hand too when you need which is always nice. <laughs> How good! I love that. Will the <laughs> will the team be attending the opening ceremony? No, unfortunately we can't. We um, we obviously just had the really really special uh, flag bearer announcement, which was. So cool to, to be there with the wider New Zealand team, and um, obviously, you know, see uh, Joe Allen from receive that honour and um, perform the haka, which was really, really special. But we uh, we start our campaign uh, at nine a.m. the following day, so no, we'll try and get a bit of offbeat time. I think that night we'll be watching from the village. Nice. Uh, yeah, just speaking to Joelle earlier, she talked about that hacker and just how awesome it was to see, you know, the, the other New Zealand athletes all get together like that. How how into the hacker did you get, Megan? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's pretty special. It's actually something, um, this, you know, as Black Six, we've really uh, taken on board and we've done a few practices here and there. So, um <laughs> Yeah, it's actually been it's been so so special, and we got it delivered by when we um, got it performed to us when we arrived at the village, and then um, yeah, obviously, I think it's such a um, special meaning, and it's such a beautiful thing that's so special to New Zealand, and I think um, obviously you know sport is such a wonderful way to bring people together, and, and that really epitomises that. Uh, with Joelle and uh, Tom Welsh being named the flag bearers for New Zealand. In your opinion, what makes them the ideal representatives for the country in that occasion? Oh, I think obviously, you know, you can look at their accolades and see how many, you know, medals and um, Commonwealth Games and Olympics and World Cups and World Champs have attended. Um, and they're obviously incredible, incredible athletes and leaders in their fields and in sport. But also, I think obviously, they're just wonderful human beings and 
so, you know, lovely and approachable and, um, you know, just absolute awesome New Zealanders, which, yeah, I think is, is so cool and, yeah, really obviously so special. I'll throw this one at you. I mean, don't feel like you have to answer it, but <laughs> if, if you had to choose one Kiwi athlete to carry the flag at these games, who would it be and why? Oh, goodness me, that is a tough question. <laughs> oh, apart from our two wonderful flag bearers. <laughs> um, who else? I think there's, there's a lot of phenomenal, phenomenal athletes here and, and lots of people that have, um, you know, done so many amazing things. So I don't actually know if I can single anyone else out. Thank goodness I'm not on the, <laughs> on the selection committee for these things. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's very cool that we have a lot of inspirational people around. That's very, very cool. Yeah, no doubt it would have been uh, a, a tough job trying to pick two. Uh, sw- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Switching to the hockey, uh, you know, since becoming co-captains, how have you and Olivia Mary worked together to create, you know, like a supportive environment for uh, the less experienced players coming into these games? Yeah, well, I think we um, we obviously have had you know, a really awesome uh, World Cup campaign just recently and we're sort of, we're actually coming into our, I think, our seventh week on the road together. So I think um, that can sort of, I think we're, we're going to end up being maybe nine or ten weeks that, you know, could either make or break you. And, and I think, honestly, I'm so lucky because Liv is such a, a wonder woman to do this aside, but equally we've just got an incredible group of girls and wonderful management. Um, and so, to be honest, it makes the job such a privilege and, and so easy when you've got awesome awesome people around you and everyone's just so willing to, you know, give it give it everything. And, um, yeah, we just want to get out there and, and leave nothing nothing to, you know, leave, yeah, basically leave it all out there. Being, you know, being on the road for so long, being away from home for so long, are you learning anything about yourself or your teammates that you didn't know before? Oh, definitely. So much, I think. I think, obviously, it's, um, it's such a, a cool cool way to get to know people so so well. And I think everyone, you know, probably has their days where maybe they're not feeling 100. or And, the, and that's also so fine. And, and it's nice because that's what, you know, we can do as teammates is maybe when someone's not having their best day and, and we can pick each other up. So... I think we've we've learned a lot of a lot about each other and, and some um, some good ways and maybe some challenging ways. But um, I think at the end of the day, we're a really tight knit group and um, yeah, I think it's it's just such a learning and growth period for us. So it makes me feel yeah super honoured to be a part of. Nice. Uh, you and Olivia, of course, filling some pretty massive shoes there from uh, Stacey Mickelson. From that recent uh, World Cup, how do you think the dynamic of that co-captaincy helped the Black Sticks perform as well as they did? Yeah, obviously, um, Stacey's super, super legend lady. And um, yeah, we, we feel super honoured to sort of be in this, in this position. I think, um, yeah, Liv and I probably... Uh, we we both say we probably complement each other a wee bit, so um, yeah, it's quite nice in the way that we can yeah have each other's backs and maybe some of um, you know her strengths are, are my work ons and and maybe vice versa. So yeah, we're really lucky and um, I think being such good friends, it's it's really helpful. And like I say, we just have such a cool group of girls, so yeah, makes it pretty easy. 
uh, prior to leaving for the World Cup, the team didn't get a lot, you know, didn't have much international game time uh, mm-hmm. as, aside from, you know, the series against Australia. And then, you know, you had Darren Smith coming in, uh, taking on that coaching role in the interim. What is What has he brought to, to help you in this period of time? Yeah, for sure. I think he um, he brings so much calmness and and obviously a lot of hockey knowledge and experience. So um, yeah, he brings such a, a cool, calm, collected approach to our group and and alongside our our incredible management and Shay McAleese, Verity Charland, um, Bryce Collins, and and obviously we've got a lot of um, you know others that surround that support. I think they all really complement each other so well, and and we have a real um, yeah, respect and trust in them, which is is really cool. So we know um, we know that that that's such a big thing, and and that we're a real collective. And I suppose we just want to continue to you know believe in ourselves and and leave nothing to chance. In times of well, the, the pandemic, you know, sometimes it's been hard to you know establish bonds and connect in ways that teams probably would have done in the past. And then, you know, culture has obviously been a real big focus in sport recently. Uh, Verity Charlin yeah. coming coming in there to help with that. So, how would you how would you characterize the culture around the team at the moment? Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. I think. Um I think it's something that's ever ever evolving, and um, like you say, it's actually such a special time to be able to um, be away together and and really sort of. Obviously, when we're training at home, we're we're working so hard on our hockey, and um, you know we've we've all got basically jobs and and other study going on. So it's really nice to be on tour and spend so much time as people away from the turf too. And I think Verity is so amazing in the way that she uh, connects people and. And, and sort of brings that bigger purpose to the group. And I think that's something that we, um, yeah, we really buy into. And, and I think it's just such a, um, such a credit to, to all of our sort of staff and our, and our group that we, um, have come, you know, a really long way this year. And I think at the end of the day, we just want to, um, have each other's backs and, and know that we stick together no matter what. And, you know, if we, the results don't go our way, then, um, at the end of the day, we're still, you know, a tight knit unit. We win as a team, we lose as a team, and that's really important. And having fun, that's huge too. Love it. Uh, your first matchup is against Kenya. What's the f- key focus there for that game to help get the gold medal defence off to a good start for the Black Sticks? Yeah, so I suppose it's a little bit of an unknown for us. I know um, they'll br- they'll bring a lot, and and we'll have to really be on our game to um, to get over them. So. Yeah, we'll we'll obviously be um, doing all our work and, and everything we can to, to put a good performance out. So I think, yeah, we'll just try and focus on on the things we've been building on and really try to put out a, a good game. On the def- on the uh, defensive side of the game, which nation in your pool do you think might provide the toughest challenge, and why is it Australia? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you've you've probably nailed it there. It probably will be Aussie. Obviously, they've come off such a such a good um, World Cup campaign too, and so I think we've had some good battles with them, and we always have that trans-Tasman rivalry. So we expect nothing less than a big old fight out there. So yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to that, and know that they'll they'll be super super uh, challenging and and bring a lot to the game. But at the same time, we we've got so much belief in this group to to get the job done too. Uh, Megan, an encouraging sign that I saw from the World Cup was how well the Blacksticks executed both 
uh, in attack and on defence around the penalty corners. What do you think is <laughs> yeah. what, do you, what do you think is clicking there for you at the moment? Yeah, yeah, that is a really pleasing sign. Although we'd probably like to concede a little a little less penalty <laughs> corner defence and maybe not have to practice that so much. Um, but yeah, I think that was a super pleasing thing to come out of the World Cup for us, and um, I think it's it's everybody knowing their role super well and executing things really, really well. And honestly, it's um, it's just when you take that field with this team, I just feel like there's no, I just absolute trust in every single person to do their job, and there's so much belief in each other. And so I think at the end of the day, those things sort of help you through in those those crunch moments. And um, yeah, doing the homework and and working really hard at training to make sure we're getting it right. Um, so yeah, we'll hope hope to carry that forward with maybe a little bit less PCD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure Darren would love to hear that too. Uh, yeah, yeah. You had you had Brooke Roberts standing pretty tall in goal there uh, while Grace O'Hanlon was resting due to injury uh, in that World Cup. What confidence does that bring for you as a defender, knowing either way you've got a rock solid goalie behind you? Oh, it's it's massive for us, and I think yeah, we're so lucky in the way that both Brooke and Grace are absolutely outstanding goalkeepers and Brooke obviously stepped in so well and played a huge tournament and, and um, yeah I think we kept us in the game a lot too um, in those important matches so yeah I think it's, it's such a such an awesome feeling that you, you've got that person in behind you that you know is, is like a brick wall so um, yeah we try to try to make them have as less work as possible but it's a pretty cool feeling knowing they've got your back no matter what no, so of course the Birmingham Games has been marketed as the open game. So what's one sport that you're looking forward to getting out there and checking out the most? Yeah, if we were able to get out, I think it would be so cool to probably see athletics, um, swimming and obviously um, have a keen eye on the squash and really cool um, that the cricket girls are here too, so... I think um, there's so many sports. I could name so many. I could probably go to any of them, to be fair. Netball. Um, but, yeah, really keen to get in behind all the athletes. And, um, yeah, just looking forward to, to cheering on, on our Kiwis over here and, and know that, um, yeah, we'll just be, we'll be all in it together, which is pretty exciting. Awesome. Well, you've got a whole nation behind you, Megan. So just want to wish Aww. you all the best here at SNZ and go well at the Com Games. Thank you guys so much. We honestly uh, appreciate all the support. It really means a lot. And, yeah, we hope we can uh, make make the country pretty proud. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, terrific performance uh, overnight from uh, the Black Caps and uh, they're beating Scotland. Of course, they should too, so they should, but they did beat them conclusively uh, in the end by 68 runs, which is a big margin in a one uh, T20 international um, and the star of the show for New Zealand was a player they're looking to develop into uh, getting to the big time, and uh, he made a big step towards it last night. And talking about Finn Allen, 101 off just 56 deliveries. He spoke after that performance. Um, right, Finn Allen, player of the match, first T20 against Scotland, your first T20 100, your first international 100. Uh, what was that like, mate? Yeah, it's cool. Obviously, always nice to put a performance on the ball for your country and, and help get across the line. Um, I guess, yeah, I've been putting in a lot of hard work the last few months, so to have a little bit of personal success is always nice, but, yeah, again, always just nice to put a performance in for your country. 
Um, obviously, Scotland asked um, uh, us to bat first and to go out and put a total like that on the board. I think you and Gup had an 80-run odd uh, opening stand. Um, how pleasing was that to kind of set the game up like that? Yeah, it was good. I think we assessed conditions quite well and didn't necessarily get off to the flyer that we would have hoped for. But, yeah, as I said, we talked well and, and communicated um, as a partnership and sort of thought about what would be a good score and then built on that. Um, in terms of this venue, it obviously is a bit different to some of the other grounds we play on around the world, but um, what kind of did you enjoy about betting on that surface? Yeah, it was nice to get a flat wicket. Um, I think early on we sort of had to stay true to sort of our positions and everything, but um, as it went on it got a bit flatter and smaller boundaries always nice as a batter up top as well. So yeah, it was just it's a nice place to play cricket. You obviously uh, contributed 101 of the total, but we had some pretty valuable contributions all the way down, the likes of Martin Guptill making 40, Jim and Eastman, I think 30 off 9, and then Daryl Mitchell 20-odd off about 12 balls. How important are those other contributions in building a 200-run plus total? Yeah, seriously good. I think the guys came in and they assessed conditions pretty well. Um, we tried our best to sort of give feedback back to the group um, whilst we were out in the middle, but yeah, the guys came in and blitzed it straight away, so that, that obviously contributed really nicely to us getting you know, a big total. Um, obviously you made, um, have made some couple of some starts uh, on this tour, how pleasing was it to kind of really push forward and actually make that 100? Yeah, it's always frustrating, you know, getting a start and, and sort of not kicking on. Um, and as I said, I've been putting a lot of hard work in and yesterday I think we had a really good day. Um, good chats with Steady and, and a few of the other guys helped a lot. So um, yeah, I think it's obviously pleasing to sort of get that across the line. What for you gets you into that space where you perform until you mention those chats, those preparation? What's the kind of key for you to get yourself into that place? I think for me it's just keeping things simple. Um, I have my little pre-ball routine and, and that sort of thing and then just being as clear and simple as possible has just worked well for me, yeah. Nice. And then when it came to defending that title with the ball, obviously Scotland managed to have quite a stubborn opening stand. What was important in terms of bowling on that surface, obviously with two more games here at this ground? I think it was important that we just didn't let them get away from us, um, which I don't think we did. Uh, they obviously allowed to bat well and play good shots, but we knew that sort of as the game went on, the rate was going up and up, which we wanted, and, and ultimately that resulted in wickets falling. Um, obviously a few wickets for spin with um, Satner and Sodi. Uh, how important will that spin be, do you think, in the next couple of games? Yeah, well, I assume we'll be on the same wicket, so I think it'll break up and, and potentially spin a bit more. So, yeah, I mean, it's obviously important, and we've got some um, really good spin options as well. Um, Bracewell didn't bowl as four, and, and obviously GP there as well loves to turn the arm over. So, um, yeah, I think I think we've got a really good matchup going into these next two games. One last one. Obviously, the team's been sort of had a real focus in this tour on fielding and work in the field. Obviously, this is a slightly different ground. What were the kind of the keys to trying to sort of field on this surface and staying alert? Yeah, it's quite bumpy out there. So I guess you know we wanted to fully commit and you know keep our standards high regardless of where we're playing. And I think the boys did that really well. Um, obviously you have to be a little bit more careful of what's going on out there with the, the bumpy outfield but um, no, I think we did, did really well in keeping our standards high. Well that was Finley Hugh Allen. He's a 23 year old of course. Uh, you kind of figure that uh, Finn is a, a new boy on the block and he is to a, a small degree but having said that he's played 10 T20 internationals three one day internationals. Uh, as high as one day international score of course 60 but uh, last night capping the lot with uh, 101. He's got a player with an ex- extremely good strike rate, that's the key. And at the top of the order, along with Martin Guptill, you've got two bullets in your gun there, and the initial outburst, and if they both kind of play and fly, and if they both come off, you're going to score plenty. If one of them comes off, you're going to get a good score, and I like that theory, I really do. There's a lot of criticism of um, the way that Daryl Mitchell played in the last T20 World Cup, and that he was a bit slow at the, st- at the top of the order, which put too much pressure on at the end. Hey, in the end, we got to the final, uh, and he was one of the standout players. So there is that method uh, as well, if you want to go about it. 
Uh, but New Zealand perhaps just need to up the ante a wee bit. And if they're going to do that, then Finn Allen, of course, is uh, very integral to that. Had a text come in uh, from Andrew. So I missed the end of your chat with uh, NZPGA guy. Well, that was, uh, of course, Michael Glading. When and where is the New Zealand Open? Well, it's down in Queenstown uh, again. It's at Millbrook. Um, and it's uh, between the days of the 2nd and 5th of March. The 2nd and 5th of March next year if you're looking to set your calendar perhaps Andrew you might be trying to qualify yourself or perhaps you're just going to go down and watch it in the beautiful Millbrook uh, resort course area what a way to spend a week down in Christchurch doing that Um, and uh, if you really really want to nut it down that's 216 days 18 hours and 29 minutes away uh, from first tee off according to their website so yeah there you go you can always set your clock uh, by Stump Smithy and you can do that right now Get on the blower, uh, 0800 150 811, and uh, we shall try and make your day by giving you uh, $50 worth of uh, product from the TAB, and that, of course, is cash. It's betting cash. It's a voucher, um, and your chance to win it comes after the news here with Araha. Trying to redeem the station a little bit after the absolute disaster. <laughs> that was Tuesday. How are you feeling about today, mate? Um, um, so it's just 50 bucks, eh? Just 50 bucks up for grabs. Still okay, 50. So Ricardo, so Ricardo didn't win, obviously, quite clearly. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling quite good about things, quite good about things. But it, again, it just keeps coming back to these gnarly questions that you're setting, uh, these gnarly categories, uh, which I'm finding it very, very hard with uh, anything like an encyclopedic brain when it comes to the stats and history of all sport, including cricket really have uh, never been a, a, a person to dine out on that. So, I mean, I, I'd start off in some cases way, way behind the eight ball with some of our competitors. Speaking of which, who have we got lined up this morning and what are the categories? Well, we'll see how you go today. He is a friend of the show, a friend of the station, but I'm not even sure if he's actually ever played stump before. Zaid from Auckland, come in, mate. Hi. Um, yeah, I always struggle to get through for stump, so I haven't played it for quite a while. I think I played it back in the early days, maybe a few few times when um, John Day was doing it before um, you came oh. to Logan, but I don't think I've done it too much. I struggle to get through at 11.30. Oh, so. pre, pre-JD, that's all right, mate. Well, uh, you, yeah. you listen, you know how it works. I'll give you the categories. Uh, yeah. <laughs> today, it's the Commonwealth Games, the Commonwealth Games, or the Commonwealth Games. Oh, so there's nothing, so I can't choose anything. <laughs> There might, it might be three categories. It might just be one. You'll just say it, it could be a lucky pick of the draw, mate. Well, it just seems like one, Logan. It all seems Commonwealth Games. <laughs> could be different sports. You just don't know. <laughs> but anyway, mate, let's get into it. We'll see how you go. See how Smithy goes with his uh, historical knowledge. Uh First question, well, it, go, it goes through different times. It's not just all recent or in the past. Yeah. Uh, first question, though, Zaid. At the 1974 Christchurch Games, John Walker raced in an incredible 1,500-metre final. What was his placing across the finish line? Was it first? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, I know you remember the 1974 Commonwealth Games very, very fondly. Etched in my memory. Never, ever will forget this one. And I'm very sorry to say, I know this. Uh, and it is, of course, he finished second to the legendary Philbert Bay of Tanzania. 
Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Sure is. Unlucky there, Zaid, mate, but keep trying through on the lines at 11.30 or just before 11.30. We'd always love you to play again. Uh, Luke from Dunedin, you're up next, mate. Come in. Morning. How you doing? Good, good. How are you? Good. How's, how's your Commonwealth Games knowledge here, mate? Uh, depend, depends. It could be good, could be rubbish. All right, well, this next question, uh, question number two, is a bit more recent. At the 2018 Gold Coast Games, which country did the Black Sticks women's side beat in a penalty shootout to make it to the final? Oh, I'm just going to go Argentina. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. Um, I'm going to say England. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. That's right. Dramatic fashion. It was just the way it seemed to go for the Black Six women's uh, at those Col- at those uh, Gold Coast games. Very dramatic. Penalty shootout straight through to the final, and then they won 4-1 to beat Australia. How good is that? Sorry, Luke. Back to the pavilion for you. Gareth from Christchurch. Lucky last. Hey, guys. Spitty's in good form, so there we go. Yep. See how we go, mate. Best of luck to you, Andrew Smithy, TAB. $50 bonus bet up for grabs. Nikki Jenkins remains New Zealand's youngest ever gold medalist at either the Commonwealth or Olympic Games. How old was Nikki when she won the women's vault at the 1990 Auckland Games? Oh, she was pretty young. Hard with these sort of events, isn't it? Because they, they can get in there quite early, so it might be early teens. It's a bit of a uh, it's a bit of a stab. I'm going to go, let's say, 14. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. It was 14. It was, we, we have a diver in the team this year who's 16, Smithy, but 14. How amazing is that? Oh, well, it's amazing, I, you know, and the fact that she actually got up um, was a, a sensational achievement. For, you know, I forget what school she went to, but uh, there was a lot of romance about the whole deal uh, back in the day, but a simply superb performance here. Nikki Jenkins, whatever became of Nikki Jenkins? Be not, um, might try and get hold of Nikki Jenkins, perhaps around Commonwealth Games time as well. <laughs> However, uh, Gareth, um, while Razor hasn't been a winner down there in Christchurch this week, you have. Uh, congratulations, yeah. mate. Uh, was threatening to get up to a hundred bucks, and uh, it's yeah, uh, going to be fifty bucks. Uh, hey, what about uh, Jace Ryan going in? Can Jace Ryan be Mister Fix It in your opinion? Yeah, I think he can do a job. I don't know. It just seems a bit strange, doesn't it? It's almost like yeah, you know, they should have just. I don't know. I think they should just bring um, Razor in and. Ryan in at the same time, it's a, maybe a little bit of a slap in the face to Razor. I'm not surprised he came out and, and made a few statements after that. But, um, yeah, I, I, it's a funny one, isn't it? I, I wish I had more faith in um, Foster, but I don't really have that much faith in him. So sort of hope Razor gets him sooner rather than later, personally. But, um, but yeah, I suppose we'll see how they go over in South Africa and, and if anything changes after then. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. If they get two uh, hidings over there, then uh, clearly... Um, they might have to do something else. Um, I doubt it. I absolutely doubt it. And I don't think they'll get two writings yeah. over there. I've got great respect, actually, for uh, for Jason Ryan and motivating the forward pack to greater heights than they've certainly demonstrated in the, the last month here in New Zealand. So 
Hey, uh, Gareth, um, aside from that, congratulations. Uh, have a terrific day and uh, stay on the line. Brian will get your details. He might have already have them, but get on uh, and uh, we'll get that 50 bucks to you as soon as possible, mate. Brilliant. Thanks again, guys. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Gareth there with the correct answer. Yes, uh, Nicky Jenkins. I love those Commonwealth Games subjects, particularly if you go back to the 1974, which I kind of remember like yesterday, most of it. Um, so, yes, uh, let's um, let's continue on with that theme tomorrow, about uh, 11.30 tomorrow morning. We shall have more, and, of course, um, uh, we've got other, other things to talk about uh, in the next uh, half an hour, or well, 20 minutes, actually, before we hand over to Staffy, including uh, a number of your texts, uh, which we'll reply to, and we'll give you a greyhound, a greyhound for charity very shortly. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand Charity Run. Yes, well, we'll uh, always have a, a greyhound for you, of course, and uh, this week uh, our greyhound uh, is uh, race seven, number five, and that's at Cambridge today. In fact, Queen Nancy is the name of the dog. Queen Nancy should have asked uh, Pip about its chances. Actually, you'd probably be calling that race. Race seven, number five, Queen Nancy, uh, Cambridge today, and uh, that, of course, any proceeds from that. And our greyhounds have gone well. We're up around $1,100 for Women's Refuge, so we're pretty proud of that. Uh, tune in to SENZ every Sunday, of course, 11am to 12pm uh, for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. It's hosted by uh, Mark Rosanowski, Andy McCook and others. Uh, so don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. So yeah, look out for that this afternoon. Race 7, number 5, Queen Nancy. Bit of sport uh, news coming in from around the world. And uh, Sapreet Singh has, uh, of course, the all-white midfielder has re-signed with German football giants Bayern Munich. What a great signing. Uh, but will be out on loan again next season. He signed with Bayern in 2019. He's just extended his deal to uh, at least 2024. Uh, last season, he was on loan to Bundesliga 2 club Jan Regensburg. He'll uh, return there with the new season starting next month. He ended last season with an injury, which forced him, of course, out of New Zealand's a World Cup qualifying campaign, and in particular that last match, which we lost against uh, Costa Rica. And it'll be interesting to see who the Pakistan cricket coach uh, has got the uh, same attitude with Brendan McCullum, and otherwise win, lose, draw is off the table because they've got some hell of a task to set uh, today when the last test, uh, the last day of the test match between them and Sri Lanka happens. Uh, they've set a record target of 508 um, and they have been restricted to 89 for one to keep alive their hopes of a series win. This is Sri Lanka um, and uh, Sarah's levering victory. They lost the first test, of course. This test match being played in beautiful stadium at Gaul, uh, which is played uh, just uh, alongside a castle or, or a fort, actually, more a fort than a castle. Um, the host declared uh, Sri Lanka at 360 for eight, robbed of precious time as only six overs could be played before the final session before bad light stopped play on day four. Uh, opener Imam Al-Hok, who was very good at uh, batting for a long period of time, was on 46 stumps. Pakistan, 419 runs uh, still to get in the improbable target. Baba Azam, who was now uh, rated, I think, as the number one batsman in the world uh, across all three forms, uh, will be part of that run chase at some point. Um, uh, he's, uh, in fact, he's in, he's in now. He's on 26. But wonder what Brendan McCullum would say to them. Wonder what Brendan McCullum would say. Look, 416 in a day with nine wickets in hand. Of course we can get him. Of course we can get him. Good luck. No blame if you don't. Let's go out and have a crack. 
419. I remember after the last Test match, Ben Stokes saying, I was kind of hoping they set us 450 just as an extra challenge. That's how well they are going there. All right, a few texts to, uh, to, uh, to get through as well before we say goodbye for the day. Whoever is providing comms advice to Razor needs to be working for NZR. Um, authentic, honest and with integrity. The man is a winner. He creates winning coaching and playing teams. I hope NZR finds a way to get the man involved with the AP. He's a game changer. JJ, I think you're um, part of a very, very big uh, group there uh, with those sentiments involved. Uh, morning, Smithy. The problem with uh, Razor is he's a star and that doesn't fit inside the square that out of touch NZR have drawn their perfect coach wish list in. I don't, I don't believe these those idiots will ever. I don't believe that these idiots will ever give Razor the job. He's just not their preferred type. Skill just doesn't come into it for them. Oh, well, we're, here we're going uh, more so at the organisation. Um, at least we're leaving, <laughs> leaving Ian Foster and uh, Sam Kane alone and going a lot deeper in this because of the decision making processes. Um, here's a couple re- regarding you, Dean. Uh, Brennan says, Gene Dunn, Jesus Dean, play a violin. In other words, uh, yeah, you're on the same theme. And here's another one too, Chris saying, what are the TAB odds on your mate Dean from Dunedin calling Ian Foster by his real name rather than Forster? Uh, I would say uh, they're pretty, pretty big actually, to be honest with you, Chris. Uh, he's got Forster on his mind, as they know. He's never been a Foster. Um, they caught, Here's another perspective. They can't all get the top job. If Reddy or Joseph had a job, then Robertson still misses out. We're always going to lose player and coaching talent, so get over it, Brendan, again. Get over it, folks. Not sure they're going to, Brendan. Not sure they're going to. You know, any way of arranging a vote of no confidence in Mark Robinson? Uh, I assume you're meaning the rugby uh, boss, Margaret, uh, as opposed to the owner of the Warriors. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's much chance of that. But I can glean uh, your opinion from uh, what you've just texted. Uh, if uh, I think if Fraser goes, they will look at Rennie after four years at Australia, keep Smith in the framework, and bring Tony Brownman in with him. Well, that's a fairly strong combination when you look at it like that Dave Rennie along with Joe Smith along with Tony Brown and with him as well <laughs> that is a really really big combination isn't it um, so uh, yeah a lot of feeling out there um, on the back of what Razor announced yesterday uh, we'll take a, a really short break and when we come back uh, we'll be with Staffy before his show begins Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.